You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 2 Samuel 22, we were here last week, and we'll be here again. Again, this is a reflective psalm, a song of thanksgiving. David now is looking back on his life. He's thinking back of how he was in distress, literally one step away from death as Saul was hunting him down, and how God had delivered him over and over again. And David is just delighting, purely delighting in the Lord and his deliverance. And we come to chapter 22, verse 21 now, and he continues, but he says some interesting things here. And so let's look together at verses 21 through 31. And I want you to to note specifically, if you'll remember this, we'll get back to it, but verse 21 and 25, that are, they're the same, actually. So let's look now, as David begins in verse number 21. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore, the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness and according to my cleanness in his eyesight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people... Thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler or a shield to them that trust in him. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to know something interesting in our text. If you looked at verse number 21, as we were reading, it's very clear that David says, Lord, I want you to reward me, uh, recompense me according to my righteousness. And then he says, I want you to reward me again for the cleanness of my hands. Verse 25 literally says about the same thing. And David is saying, Lord, as I am thinking and reflecting and now praising you with thanksgiving, I want you to reward me for my righteousness and the cleanness of my hands. <clears throat> I tell a story around Christmas time, and I'm sure it's getting old now. I think I've told it every year, but, but um, humor me as I tell it again. A little boy was writing Santa Claus. He said, Dear Santa, there are three boys in our home. There is Johnny, who is three. There is David, who is five. And there is Norman, who is seven. Johnny is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. And Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) And what he was trying to say there is, just so that you know, Santa, you're keeping tabs of everything that's naughty and nice, I am good all the time. And I wonder this morning if David is pulling a Norman. Is he claiming too much here? 
Because we have the goods on David. We, we have been through his life. We have seen his story. We have seen his failures. And not only have we seen David's life, we know what Scripture says. Job 25.4, listen to what Job says. How can a man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? And certainly Job understands when he talks about humanity, about men and women, that we are not clean, we are not righteous. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned every one of us away from God. And so you read this from David, and, and I don't know about you, but, but for me, I, the first time I read this, I sort of cringed a little bit. Like, David, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Knowing the tenor of the Old Testament and knowing what the New Testament says, especially about justification, it seems that David's words here are somewhat strange. Listen to what Paul says about justification, just so that we're on the same page. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans, a great book, a theologically deep and sound book. And Paul says in Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He goes on to jump down to verse number 28. And he says, therefore we conclude that a man or a woman is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so Paul makes it very clear, as we think about justification, we are justified by faith alone, without the deeds, without works, without being righteous or clean. B.B. Warfield helps us with this, the great Princeton theologian. And listen to the quote. I know sometimes when quotes are given, it's like you sort of fade out in between them. But try to pay attention to what's being said here. It is of the utmost importance. In regard to justification, he says, Justification is a pronouncement by God the judge that we are just or righteous. A pronouncement grounded not in anything about us, but in Christ alone. Incredibly, righteousness, our right standing before God, grounded in the judgment of his law, is not something we give to God. It is something God gives us in Christ. A more secure position we could never imagine in what sense could a sinner possibly hope. And what Warfield says here is, listen, we are justified, we are declared righteous, it's not anything that we do, it's something God has done through Christ, it is his pronouncement. Again, listen to Paul in Romans 5, and stay with me, we are going somewhere, okay? I know it's, sometimes we start zoning out, it's like, look at this scripture, listen to this, but pay attention, this is important. Paul says in Romans 5, verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul is talking about the experience common to all believers who will put their faith and trust in Christ, a result of seeking justification from God, not by works, but by faith in Christ. All believers experience the peace of God that quiets the conscience and acceptance with God. This is justification. It's important that we understand this. Listen to me. As believers, as you and I gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ, 
that we sung about this morning, the cross. As we gaze to the cross of Christ and his finished work, we understand this morning that God also gazes to the cross of Jesus Christ and cannot condemn anyone who is in Christ. And so that means that when we come to Christ by faith, by faith alone, by grace alone, and we repent and call upon his name, it is not my righteousness, it is not my goodness, it is not my works, I come in the merits of Jesus Christ, and as God looks at that sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, every individual who is in him, and Paul has a lot to say about being in him, When God looks, he doesn't see my righteousness. He sees the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's justification. It is a powerful and beautiful thing. We sing an old song around here. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is, like the young people will say, stinking sand. All right? It's stinking. It doesn't mean anything. So here's the point this morning. Saying all of that in our text to say this, we cannot overemphasize enough the righteousness that God gives through the work of Christ. I want you to understand that this morning. We, We cannot emphasize enough that the righteousness that we have that makes us right before the sight of God comes by the merits of Christ. We could go on and on and on and on about that truth. It's a great truth. So, here's the question. What in the world is David talking about? Back in our text, he says, God, reward me according to my righteousness. Reward me according to the cleanness of my hands. Is David being arrogant here? What is he talking about? Well, let's look back at our text now with our understanding of justification by faith alone, our righteousness in Christ. David tells us now what he is talking about. Look at verse number 22. We find these three verses tucked neatly between these two statements. And here's what David says. Listen now. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him, and I have kept myself from mine iniquity. Listen and listen closely. David is not claiming perfection here. We know that. We know David's sins. He knew his sins. He is not claiming here, God, look at I am perfect in your sight. This is an overall fidelity to God. David, when he blew it, when he fell, he always went back to the God of the Bible. He never apostatized. He never worshipped idols. He would blow it, but he knew he could run back to this God. His word, his ways were before him. And David says, I was upright. There's a wholeness in his integrity. David is not speaking of perfection in life's particulars, but a wholeheartedness and integrity in life's commitment. What David is saying is, this is a life direction. A striving for obedience. There is a right way to live for those who follow Christ. And so this morning, listen to me. 
We can never overemphasize the righteousness we have in Jesus Christ. We who are saved, it is not our righteousness. But listen to me. We cannot underemphasize the actuality of living a righteous life. Yes, I am righteous in Christ. That is my standing. But God calls his people to actually live righteous lives. My fear is that many believers come to Christ and they come to Christ for a bomb shelter or a fire escape. It's like, man, I see judgment, I hear judgment, I know I'm wrong, but I don't want that, so I'll come to God to be saved from the wrath to come. But I'm not interested in my life changing much after that. My friend, listen to me. If that's your idea of grace, that is not a grace that saves you. Because a grace that saves you is a grace that changes you. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Does it mean that I prayed a prayer and now I'm set? Does it mean I show up to church on Sunday and the rest of the week is mine? What bearing does a righteous life have for me and for you? Look with me, if you would, now to Titus chapter 2. Again, the words of Paul. And we know what Paul already said about our righteous standing in Christ. Now look what he says here in Titus chapter 2, starting at verse number 11. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Again, he's talking about grace. Grace, the unmerited favor of God towards sinners. The grace that delivers and rescues the undeserving. And he says something interesting. He says, I want you to know that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Can I tell you something this morning? Grace has appeared to all men. Grace showed up in the flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared that brings salvation. It is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he says there's something interesting in the text. He says, the grace of God, which brings salvation, hath appeared to all men. We have to be careful. We think, okay, wait a minute, what does that mean? If salvation has appeared to all men, does it mean that all men and women are saved? Is Rob Bell right that love wins? That doesn't matter who you are or what you do, you are just saved because grace appeared. That's not the case. Remember when we look at Scripture, every verse has a context. Context is king. Every verse comes in a chapter. Every chapter comes in a book. Every book is contained in the Bible. This is not an appeal to universalism. What it is is universal opportunity. Jesus Christ has shown up, and the way of salvation is clear to all men and women. The atonement is sufficient for the whole world, but efficient only for those who believe. That's what he's talking about. And if you have trouble with that, you ought to look at John chapter 10, verse 9, because Jesus says, I'm the door. And anybody who wants to come in and out comes through me, and they shall be saved. And so Paul says, listen, I know about our standing in Christ. I know about the righteousness that we have in him. But I want you to know something. Grace has showed up. And for those who are in Christ, who are saved and born again, it's appeared to all men, we understand that, and now it teaches us something. Look at verse number 12. He says, this grace teaches us. The word teaches means to educate, to instruct. And Paul is about to tell believers, you and I this morning, or you and me, 
that we are called to live lives that show him as a saving and delivering God. That God not only transforms our nature, we are new creatures, but he transforms our life and our living. And so he says, here's what grace teaches us. There's a negative aspect and a positive. He says in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. The word deny means to reject, refuse, disavow. It's a purposeful action of the will. It means for believers this morning who are in Christ, here's what grace teaches you, that you and I must deny a purposeful act of the will. There is something that God wants you to do. Now pay attention because I know this morning, speaking like this, some will say, wait a minute, isn't it God who changes us? Isn't the Spirit of God and the Word of God who is doing the work in us, isn't it God who wills and does of his good pleasure? Absolutely. And don't lose sight of that. Philippians chapter 2.13. But listen to what Philippians 2.12 says. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And he's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying cultivate what God has given you. The believer this morning is to deny some things in their life, to reject some things in their life. And the first thing he says is, reject ungodliness. This morning, Christian, we are right and our standing is secure in Jesus Christ. We couldn't be more secure than that. But God calls us to live righteous lives now. And so, in order to do that, we deny ungodliness. It's leaving God out of the picture. It's, it's not having um, reverence or devotion for him. And for too many of us this morning, we have become like the Israelites of Jeremiah chapter 2. And God says, you have forgotten me days without number. Believer, just think with me this morning. Right? You're standing in crisis secure. How is your righteous living? This week, have you denied your will, your will an active part, an action of the will, have you denied ungodliness? Have you made time in your thought process, in your mind, to think about your Lord and Savior? To think about the sacrifice of Christ? To think about his word, his law, and his ways? For many of us, we've forgotten him days without number. We'll leave here this morning, and that'll be it. That will be the extent of my exercise in Christianity. Paul says, wait a minute, we are to deny ungodliness, and worldly lust. Worldly lusts are cravings that are opposed to the way God wants us to think, act, and live. This is the natural man. And so, so listen, we are called to righteous living, and in order to do that, there's an act of the will. There's something you must do. You need to deny ungodliness and worldliness. Now the positive aspect. There are three things here in verse 12. He says that we should live now soberly, righteously, righteously, and godly in this present world. The word soberly means a sound mind or self-control. And this first one is for the believer. Now positively, deny some things. Now you and I are obligated to live in a way that is sober, self-control. Can I tell you something this morning? Life happens. And life will throw you things that you could never imagine. And as I think about that statement I just made, I think about our church and things that have been thrown at our people. Life happens. And for the believer who's working on 
a righteous kind of living, we are to be sober in control, a sound mind, control of the issues of life. Not that we control those, but we don't become drama kings and drama queens. We don't have meltdowns when something happens because we are sober. Our mind is stayed on him. We have perfect peace because we are thinking and meditating on his word. We avoid trivial nonsense and things that don't matter. Can I tell you something? There's a bunch of nonsense in our world today. U.S. politics. It's insane. Those are the best two choices that we have. I don't care what you're. I don't care what you. I don't care what you are. It doesn't matter. You're It doesn't matter. But really, those are the best two choices out of three hundred million people. It's nonsense. It's crazy. And there's craziness all around us. It's insane. There's trivial things. Look at Facebook. Facebook is insane. It's not reality. It's it's not. Everyone's smiling and happy. And look at our. Fun family pictures were always like this. You are not always like that. I would challenge you this week, please, take and do this. Take pictures this week of when you're not happy and you're not smiling and, and you're eating some hot dog on a piece of white bread fold over with ketchup on it. I would like to see that because that's reality. Right? Good old poor folks eating your ketchup sandwiches. Life is like that, but for the believer, I am sober-minded, I am set, I am secure. Not that I say, I've got this under control. Listen, there is nothing in this life you control. Nothing. Nothing. You got control? Wait till the first stomach flu and tell me about your control. We, we have no control. We control nothing. And Paul's not saying, I got this all in control. What he's saying is, my mind is sober. My mind is stayed. My mind is thinking about the promises of the God of heaven. And when these things are happening and they're being thrown at me, I'm not moved by these because my God is unmoved by these things. And so this first thought for us is, okay, actively, negatively deny these things, ungodliness, worldly lust, get, deny those. But positively now, you and I have to have sober minds. That's for us. That's for you and I. That, that's for not the pastor or the elder or the deacon. That's for you. That's for me. That's for all of us. Our minds must be sober, in control, meditating and thinking about the word of God and listening for his sweet peace when it comes. And it does come. It does come. When my mind is stayed on him, for me, it brings peace. So sober is for us. And then now he says something for others. He says, righteously, live righteously, which is justly. The idea is that we are in harmony with what Scripture teaches about correct living, about those inside the church and those outside of the church. We're living righteously. Let me ask you a question. What's your interaction like with people inside the church and outside the church? Are people blessed by coming in contact with you? Is your spouse, are your children, when you leave, are they sad that you left or glad that you left? 
right? At work, are you the guy or the girl who sits there and when you leave the office is like, oh my goodness, she is nuts, she is crazy, she is a drama queen, she is, or are they sad to see you go? Are you giving something? We are to live righteously in this world inside the church, the, the church of the family, right? The way it's supposed to be is a family. Now the problem is most of us come from dysfunctional families. And you try to bring that into the church, right? But we have to deal with dysfunction. And the truth is we come to a place like this from every background, every past, every social, economical kind of deal going on, and we come together. You know what happens? We love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are people in this church that the truth is you wouldn't be hanging out with them on Friday night. Matter of fact, if you saw them coming, you'd probably cross the street, right? When we come together in Christ now, and what we say is, wait a minute, there's something bigger than all this. We're a family. We're the same Father. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. And so I have to learn how to love like God loves. And so you know what he does? He brings a church together of people who are unlovely. Can I tell you something this morning? You are unlovely. I mean, really unlovely. And so am I. And when I live righteously, I say, wait a minute. I gotta love him, I gotta love her, I gotta make this right. We don't fuss, we don't gossip, we we take care of these things. We live righteously on the inside of this place. And can I tell you, if the church would really be serious about this, I have a hunch that people would be banging down our doors to see what's happening here. Of a group of people that are so different and diverse and yet really love each other. Righteously on the inside and righteously on the outside. How do you treat people out there? Like you got all the answers, like you're perfect, like you've got no problems, or are you kind, compassionate, loving? The fact is, if we really believed how radical Jesus was when he went around doing good works, it would motivate us to go out and do the same thing. Does your neighbor, does your coworker know that you're a man or a woman who really is kind? Who really does try to help people? Let me ask you a question, and just be honest. How many of you know someone who would never darken the doors of the church, but they're the nicest person in the world? Can I see your hands? You can raise them. I know lots of people like that. And how many of you people know stinkers that are in church? Can you see your hands? Okay, right. And I understand, it's the gospel, and we're changing, we're growing. But isn't it pathetic that some of the nicest people we know are outside of these walls? We need to live righteously. I was coming home the other day um, from our trip. We, we got away for a couple days. It was a great trip. Kim had strep, and now she has mono. So I don't know how that happens. The kissing disease, I'm not sure. But um, we were coming home on Wednesday, and as I'm driving, I, I see this over on Indian Creek here. I see just a, like three cars to the side, and um, something was going on. I didn't know what it was. So as I drove up, I thought at I won't tell you what I thought at first. I drove up, and then there's seven or eight Muslim guys out there. They had the garb on. They had the long thing on. They're all in the middle of the road there. I'm thinking, okay. So I pulled up, and I said, hey, listen, what's going on? It was obvious. The guy had a BMW, and it was broken down. Of course, those BMWs always break down. Um, and I had my terrain, my GMC terrain, which was running, right? A living dog is better than a dead lion. Um, it's true. So I stopped. I said, hey, what's going on? I said, hey, the, the car, we need a jump. Three cars, all fold, 
full of these Muslim guys. No one had cables. I said, listen, I drop my wife off. I'll come back. I'll try to jump your car. I'm not a mechanic, am I, Travis? No, I can figure out sometimes what's going on. I could not get their car jumped. I just couldn't do it. I don't know. It was something more than that, I'm sure. But listen to me. I sat there. I talked with those guys. I was loving to them. They were some of the nicest guys you would ever want to meet. What if Christian people would just go out and really be nice to people? I mean, really. I mean, to all people. To people who are different, to people who are unkind. To pe- Isn't it easy to love lovely people? Isn't that what we do? Man, I love you because you're lovely, because you're like me, and that's easy. And Christ says, what reward is that? It means nothing. Why don't we start living righteously for others where we find people who need to be loved and be truly the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? That's for others, for us, soberly, for others, righteously. And then he says, finally, be godly in this present world. And that's to be like God, that we conduct our conduct is in agreement with his nature. This is our relationship with him. The truth is only, um, right, only a right relationship with God can produce truly good works. It's not the other way around. We don't do good things to have a right relationship with God. We can't, we can't merit. But when I'm right with God, when, when this is right, this, this vertical is right, then I do truly do good works. And so this encouragement is for all of us, to live righteously. Where God has called us to live lives that show him as a saving and delivering God. So let me ask you this morning, is your life right now showing your God as a saving and delivering God, delivering over and over again, meaning I'm not the same person I was yesterday or last month or last year or five years ago. This God of mine is delivering he is saving me. Not only has he saved me from the penalty of sin, but he has saved me from the power of sin. Look what Paul does now in our text. He comes down to verse 13, and he tries to encourage us on how to motivate us to do this. If you're a Christian here this morning, certainly from what I just said, because I'm convicted by this, I think, you know what, that, that's exactly right. What was just said is true and right. And if you're a believer, there is something in you that says yes. Right? I I want this. I I know this is true, and I need to have this. And it's really easy to want that sitting in Sunday morning all together in the nice little cozy church. But we know it's harder to do this when we leave this place. And so Paul gives us encouragement now. He says, okay, deny some things, you know, ungodliness and worldly lust. Positively now for yourself, be sober. For others, be righteous. And for God, you know, be godly. And now he encourages us in verse 13 and says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not the waiting that you think. When I was in the military, this was a saying, hurry up and wait, right? You would run to, to the chow hall, you would run to formation, you would run to everywhere, and you would hurry up and wait. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says looking or waiting, it's an enthusiastic excitement and anticipation that God is coming back. And so he says, we are looking for the blessed hope. Grace appeared the first time bringing salvation, but I want you to know something. Grace is coming a second time. And it's for his sovereign rule. And this is my father's world. And everything made right. Everything. 
And so he says, we're looking for that. We're longing for that. That's our motivation. That's an encouragement to us. What he's saying is, listen to me, the best is yet to come. That's what he's saying. And so be motivated. I'm just living this life to get along. I am anticipating. I am waiting. I am longing for our Christ to return. And then for those who are are interested, at the end of the verse, this is really a a great text where he says, um, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, in in the Greek, there is one definite, definite article there, the the, and it indicates the singularity and identity with God and Savior. Paul is not talking about two different people there. You go down to verse number 14, the who and himself is a singular pronoun referring back to the singular person. And this is a great text where Paul is saying, listen, we are looking for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And just in case you don't know who he is, he is the great God and our Savior. They're They're not two different people. We serve the king of the universe, and that's what we're looking for. And in verse 14, he tells us now the redemptive purpose. He says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, a special, a treasure, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God wants his people who are secure in him to live a righteous life, to know God, to live and reflect God's truth. God's truth. Um, I worry about some people in church. Um, some of you folks who come here and we'll sing great songs of praise and, and, and majesty of God. And you're bored by it. <sighs> Do you know right now for the Christian, God is fitting you for heaven? So I wonder if you're bored now by singing praises to him now, I wonder what your attitude might be in heaven when we sing his praises forever and ever. If when we talk about the body of Christ and the church and gathering together and provoking each other unto love and good works, and that attitude just or that idea just bores you to death, I wonder what your attitude would be in heaven when thousands upon thousands and myriads of myriads are together as the body of Christ worshiping him. If holiness about God and who he is and, and being brought into line with him bores you now. Where are you going to fare in heaven when holiness is so common, it's on the ornaments of everything there? If these things bore you now, I, I would have to say to you, you better check out your salvation. Maybe there's something you don't understand here. Because God is fitting us now for heaven. He's left us here for a purpose. And so this morning, it does matter how you live. Don't, don't say what I did. I did not say... Works, salvation. No, you know that. We've talked about that. But it does matter how you live. We don't underemphasize our standing in Christ, but we can't underemphasize the fact that we are called to live righteous. I'm reading a book right now that uh, Nick actually bought for me. It's um, A Shepherd's Guide to the 23rd Psalm. And there's actually three books in there. And so I'm learning some things about a shepherd, because in Cleveland, you don't shepherd anything, right? I had a German shepherd, but that's as far as the shepherding went, right? Um, and I, and I learned, um, just the other day I was reading, and it talked about how sheep can either destroy the landscape of an area, I mean eat everything, to where it's completely ruined, 
or they can be managed well where they eat all the thorns, the thistles, the weeds. They manage the lawn so that later it looks lush and beautiful and, and it's a place that, that you would want. And the point is for the Christian, as a sheep, are you destroying the landscape? Or is your life something lush and beautiful, saying, my God is worthy of praise, who is a deliverer and a redeemer and a savior? It does matter this morning how you treat your wife. You don't know my wife. Yeah, you married her. It doesn't matter if I know her or not. She, she's a daughter of the king. She's your bride. You should love her and cherish her. Try to learn everything you can about her and give yourself for her. It does matter. It does matter how you treat your kids. I just have a bad temper. I'm just this way. Yes, that's the problem. We're all that way. Christ came to make us new. And so it does matter how you, you talk to your children, how you treat them. It does matter how you work your job. Everybody's doing it. <coughs> yeah? We're supposed to do things unto the Lord. Not as men pleasers, but as pleasing God. It does matter how you obey your parents. It, those things do matter. Listen, God has saved us to change us, and he's called us to righteous living. And we have to remember what he saved us from. I don't live there anymore. We had a study last year for our, our in-home Bible studies, and one of the points was that sometimes we naturally go back to our old settings, and the guy was giving the example of moving. And when we got to this, this intersection, he would always turn left because that's where his old house was. But, but the new house was right. And after a couple of times, he had to say to himself, listen, I don't live there anymore. Christian, can I tell you something? If you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, your standing in Christ is secure, but you've got to remember something. You don't live there anymore now at all. And so instead of keep on turning left, you start turning right and live a life that is righteous. God's grace is sufficient to sustain us. We don't do this on our own. We do it by his power. But I want you to know this morning, the temptations are not too strong. The enemy is not too profound or powerful. And, and the expectations are not too high. God has given the believer everything they need for life and godliness. First Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. And so this morning, we cannot overemphasize our standing in Christ. We're safe. We're secure. We can fall. We can fail. We can blow it. I'm secure in Christ because of his sacrifice and his righteousness. We, can't over, we could sing and we will sing those praises for eternity. That we are in Christ. We are secure. We blow it. We fall and we fail. But I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. But at the same time, like David, we cannot underemphasize actually living righteously. To have clean hands and clean hearts. Not that we're perfect, but I'm striving. This is the direction of my life. And may we this morning, as believers, rededicate ourselves to saying, God, could you, could you say that this morning? Could you say, God, honestly, reward me according to my righteousness and, and reward me, Lord, according to my cleanness this week. How would you do? 
If God was sitting and saying, okay, Rick, here you go. I'm gonna re- I know your standing is in Christ. You're saved. You're my child. But I'm going to reward you this week for your righteousness and your cleanness. So here's your reward. What would you get? A lump of coal? A kick in the rear end? And David's not talking about give me some money. Give me. But he's talking about this relationship with God that I, I'm in tune with you, and I, I want to please you. I want you to be proud of me. I want you to smile on me. It's your child. I, I, how could I say thank you enough other than to live a life that pleases you? And so this morning, let us rededicate ourselves to living lives that are clean and righteous because we are clean and righteous in Christ already. And it makes sense now to live that out for his honor and glory. Let's pray this morning.